That Michelin Web Signed, starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb, with Olivia Coleman and James Barkman. Okay for you, sir. Uh, yes, fine, thanks. Can I get you some more water or a hot towel? Uh, no, that's fine. Sorry, was it something else? Well, it's a bit embarrassing, actually, sir, but it's just that well, the captain was wondering if he could come and sit with you. What? The captain wants to ride up back with you for a while. <laughs> what for? Well, ever since he was a boy, he's wanted to visit the cabin and sit with the passenger right at the back so he can't see anything. Um, well, I suppose. Great, Captain Harris, <laughs> meet a passenger. Hi. Hi, great to meet you. Uh, well, pleased to meet you, I'm sure. Wow, you really can't see a thing back here. Your view is completely restricted. Well, you do have to lean a bit. Look at all these buttons in the armrests. Looks complicated. It's quite simple, really. But what does that one do? Uh, it's a reading light. Wow! A light just for reading. And um, what do you do, you know, while the plane is actually flying? Well, I, I read a magazine or a book or watch a film. Film? You, you have a film back here? Yeah, you, you see that screen up there? Uh-huh. Well, they show two films and a repeat of the Benny Hill show. Benny Hill? That's incredible. Do you, do you think maybe I, I could have a go on the tray? The tray? I've always wanted to pull out the meal tray on the back of the seat. OK, go ahead. Wow. <laughs> I can't wait to tell the boys up front about this. Just ace. Um, could you excuse me for a moment? I, I have to use the toilet. Toilet? You, you have a toilet back there. Well, of course. What do you use? We just have to use our hats. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that... What? What now? That's the biggest packet of cigarettes I've ever seen in my life. And is that gin? It is. It's tiny gin. <laughs> Stewardess, can you bring that trolley down to the cockpit, please? Looks like this trip's not going to be as boring as we first thought. You can't get drunk. You've got to fly the plane. Well, it's been great talking to you, but now I have some uh, important piloting business to attend to. <laughs> what are you winking for? Where are you taking the trolley? Stop! Stop! You're going to kill us all! Can, can you see to that, passenger stewardess? They seem to be in considerable distress. Oh, and uh, if you've got a moment, could you empty my hat as well? John, you look glum. I am glum, Bob. Have you not heard the news? No. What on earth is it? I hope it's not bad news connected to us both working here at the London Stock Exchange. <laughs> I'm afraid that's exactly what it is. They've just announced that the day of trading is over. But surely that's good news. It means we can go home to our families. Ever the optimist, Bob. They've also announced that after a whole day's trading, we're down 40 points. Oh, no. That's devastating. That's the very thing we didn't want to happen. We've all been working so hard all day to make sure that we add value to all these companies, and the very opposite has happened. This is a nightmare. I know, Bob. We may as well have not come in. At least then it would have ended level. Hold it right there. An American accent. Listen here. I'm from the New York Stock Exchange in America, and I want to buy this stock exchange. Yes, that's right. This one, here in London. You want to what? You want to what? You heard me. I've got three billion dollars, like American pounds, and I want to buy this stock exchange. What, the building? No, I somehow assumed it was more than the building. It's not a very big building. Three billion American equivalents to pounds. Blimey. And, and you can't mean that you want to buy all the companies we keep in this building. Some of them on their own are worth more than three billion pounds, American or British ones. Damn, I thought I'd worked all this out in my office in New York this afternoon before I got on Concord or equivalent and flew to London. It all made sense there. Damn. Hold it right there. Another American accent. 
Spin the globe, buddy. I'm Australian. I'm from a company, and I want to buy this stock exchange. I can offer you four billion American dollars. They're like pounds. Uh, okay, and... we've been through this. <laughs> what do you say? I, I don't know, really. Have you got the money on you? We do it with electricity. And, <laughs> and what would you expect to have once you'd bought it? Oh, I want the whole thing, the whole stock exchange. And you're from a company? That's right. Well, maybe you're slightly confused. What we do here at the London Stock Exchange is, well, we buy and sell little bits of companies to each other so that by the end of the day... Fingers crossed. ..all the companies are a bit more valuable. We do exactly the same in New York, except we're more brash about it. <laughs> so, if you're from a company, shouldn't we be buying bits of you? Oh, damn. I knew there was something wrong with this whole setup. Fantastic. Can we buy a little bit of you, then? By all means. Sorry, don't know what I was thinking. Hey, why don't I sell half of my company to you guys in London and half to you in New York? I'm glad I got on Concord or Equivalent now. This is great news. <laughs> oh, but hang on. There are two of us. You do have a point. Great. Well, my company is made up of 120 little bits. I'll sell you 40 each. We'll send you the money by electricity. <laughs> I can't wait for it to arrive. Yes, I've got 40 bits of a company. I'm getting back on Concorder equivalent. John, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I might be. We got 40 more bits of the company than the American, didn't we? So, are we 40 points up again? Um... <laughs> yes. <laughs> that must be how it works. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 2006 Office Olympics here at the Sir John Harvey Jones Memorial Olympic Business Park in Stratford. A lot of controversy this year, as I'm sure you all know. This office was meant to cost £50 per square foot to hire, but costs have spiralled to nearer the three billion mark. But I'm sure there'll be value for money tonight as you join us for the final of the cross-office sprint on office chairs propelled only by office equipment. It's a simple game with simple rules. If it's in an office, you can use it. If it's not, you can't. I think that was clear from what I just said. <laughs> Let's take a look at the finalists. In lane one, we have Britain's own Keith Prendergast, and he's going to be propelling his office chair using the classic office fan. In lane two, it's the Russian Sergei Bochkov. He's gone with the shredder at the other end of the room and the massively long tie trapped in it. In lane three is the Belgian, Hergé Van Damme, and he's got a stapler and the office plant sprayer, and he's facing backwards. Clearly utilising Newton's third law, he's hoping the light aluminium staples and fine watery mist will propel him to an equal and opposite victory. But there is every chance that it won't. And finally, in lane four, we have the American, Whip Slipscomb, who's using a rocket. Yes, that's Professor Whip Slipscomb of the Massachusetts Institute of Rockets and Rocketry. The rules state that you can use whatever's in your office, and Whip's office is, well, it's full of rockets. Hello there. Shall I take those for you? Hi, just returning these, and can I take this out? Certainly. Oh, and could I reserve Cold Mountain by Charles Frazier? No. Pa pardon? I said no. I'm not going to reserve that for you. What you've picked here is far more appropriate for your brains. Rags to Ritchie, the Shane Ritchie story. Uh, yeah, I know, it's silly. I just thought I'd read some. Could some god-awful rubbish, like you always do. You do well to steer clear of Cold Mountain. It's not like when you watched it on DVD with your girlfriends. There's no dishy Jude Law to hold your hand through the difficult prose. What? Yes, it's all words. Most of them longer than you'd see in your copy of Top Sante. <laughs> Right, Sia. Listen, I'm looking at your history here, 
depressing list of all the books you've ever taken out, and I can't help thinking that you are possibly the dullest, most dunderheaded female who has ever scraped up enough mental wherewithal to correctly fill in the library application form. <laughs> Did you have help? Did I what? Shh, you're in a library. <laughs> Do you find when talking to people, you get a lot of this? Uh-huh, yeah, mm, yeah, got you. Yeah. Well... That's because they're not listening. (laughs) It's dull time for them. When your friends see you, they're doing you a favour. You're like a charity for them. It's them giving something back. I don't believe you're saying all this. Of course, it's difficult for you to grasp. You're an idiot. Possibly (laughs) the thickest person I've ever come across. And I lived in Leatherhead for six miserable years. I'm getting bored just looking at you and your grey face with its dead eyes. But... <sighs> Are you still here, you soporific dullard? <laughs> You're right. It's all true. My friends do hate me. There, there. Uh, what can I do? Yes. What to do. <laughs> what to do. What to do. Ah, uh, oh, here's a little thought. What? How about a little date? <laughs> You and me, out and about, on a little date. You'd like that, wouldn't you? Yes, I'd like that. I think I'd like a little date with you. Do you think that would be all right? Yes. A little date would suit me just fine. Now, let me stamp that for you. I I can see the starter getting ready. William Marks, set. You're fired. Ah. He's fired someone from accounts and the race is underway. And amazingly, the Americans haven't won yet. Professor Slipscomb is struggling to get his rocket going, which means that the Brit is in the lead. Yes, Prendergast has moved smoothly through the fan speeds from one to two, clearly saving three for the sprint finish. And he's going very nicely. Meanwhile, Hergé Van Damme in lane three is in all sorts of trouble because the plant sprayer is far more powerful than the stapler. He's just spinning round and round in very slow circles. Oh, 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 he's got dizzy and sick. He's fallen off the chair and his race is over. (laughs) Hello, Gary Road Store. Hi, yeah, is that the Gary Road Store? It is, yeah. Uh, I was just wondering if you had the Gary Road action figure where he's holding a spatula. (laughs) No, sorry, mate, you'll be lucky this close to Christmas. Um, We've got him holding a colander and we've got a couple of him with a whisk. I can't find one anywhere. You've tried the Rygate branch, have you? Yeah, nothing. Well, they're very popular. You know, the kids, they don't want to play with Gary Rhodes draining some veg or beating an egg white into soft peaks. They want him frying, don't we? That's where the fun is. Yeah, well, look, I've got a 12-year-old boy, so obviously he's, he's Gary Rhodes' man. Mm. Um, is, is there anything else you can suggest? Um, you've got the wig, I should imagine. Of course. Yeah. Well... We've got the plush Gary Rhodes teddies. Uh, you pull the string, it's got six phrases. Uh, I'm Gary Rhodes, hug me. I'm your best friend, me being Gary Rhodes, that is. What do you want, a salad? I'm Gary Rhodes. You know, that kind of thing. I think he's a bit old for that. Listen, I'll tell you what, I've got a ton of John Tarodes uh, out the back. I can't give them away. One of them's frying, I'm sure. I'll rip Tarodes' spatula hand off and stick it in Gary Rhodes' wrist. Your boy won't know the difference. Really? No, very similar hands, those two. Oh, that's, that's great. Thank you so much. I'll come by this afternoon and pick it up. Sure. You know where we are, don't you? The main shopping centre between the tourist information and the Adam Woodyatt Learning Centre. <laughs> great. I'll see you later. Bye. Oh, husband, what have they done to you? Sweet Isabel, 
Ah, it is nothing. But you are so thin. Thin? Aye, maybe. It is little to wonder at, I suppose, that a man grows slender if he be fed nothing for a month but cress. <laughs> but what of it? I, I am of good cheer. But you die within the week. Yes, I am of less good cheer now. <laughs> Has the method of execution yet been fixed? Prithee, dearest, have a heart. But I must know that I might prepare myself. Is it to be the rope or the axe? It is to be the tiger. <laughs> Tiger? Yes, I'm to be thrown to a ferocious man-eating tiger which has eaten naught but two ox carcasses and a haunch of venison. Won't that make him quite full? Precisely. I believe the idea is to dull the beast's appetite so that rather than being devoured instantly, I'm slowly nibbled to death. Oh, horrible! If only it was in my power to save you. But what can I do? Nothing. No, nothing. Yet you hesitate, Claude. Is there something which might be done? Speak, speak! Oh, mark it not, Isabel. It is nothing. Merely a device by my inhuman captor, France, to torment me with false visions of salvation. What is it? I demand you tell me. Well, under duress, then, France, curse his black heart, has intimated that he would spare me in exchange for... for carnal knowledge of you, my love. Fie! I, I know. <laughs> Unthinkable. Yes, Quite unthinkable. Yes. Out of the question. Anything else I have in the world I would gladly give for your life, but that never. No. The fiend. Does he not know that you hold your life as a trinket to be thrown away with scorn when compared to my good name? Yes, yes, yes I, I do. Better that you should die a thousand times over and that each death be more horrible and agonising than the last than he should trample upon the honour of us both. Hmm. Why, even were I wanted enough to agree, you, my love, would never allow it. Well, no, almost certainly not. Why, you would rather die. Yes, yes, I, I would. Selfish of me, though, that would be. Selfish? Selfish, surely, to leave little Anne and Walter to grow up fatherless. Better a dead father than a dishonoured mother. Uh, would you say? There can be no argument about it. Well, they, they wouldn't have to know their mother was dishonoured, of course, whereas a dead father, that's harder to hide. Enough! Claude, enough! It is as you say. Franz is merely using this false hope to poison your mind. Let us put it from us. Yes, let's. He, he truly is an evil, evil man. Though a surprisingly good-looking one. Claude! <laughs> All day he spends turning the rack, winching traitors' corpses to the ceiling. He must have quite a physique. Claude! I simply mention it in passing. No man shall make an adulteress of me. I love my husband too dearly. Oh, go on, give him a quick tumble! Never! Did you not hear me mention the tiger? Never! Just imagine that it's me! You always keep your eyes closed anyway. It shouldn't be difficult. Never, never, never! I do it for you! If some evil captress had you in jail and demanded that to save your life I must do my all to satisfy her, by God I would do it. I am gladly. Is that supposed to melt my heart? <laughs> Possibly it was ill-judged. No, Claude, I do not blame you. Fear for your life has addled your wits. But I know that my Claude, the true Claude, would rather die than let me sleep with any other man. I. Whilst you still lived. <laughs> What? Yes. You may go to your grave secure that I will never share my bed with anyone but my husband's. You would marry again? Why, of course. 
It is my duty. You said yourself there are Walter and Anne to provide for. But who? Wait, how should I know? I thank my lucky stars that if I am to be widowed, it is at least whilst I am still young and comely. I flatter myself that there are men yet who will consider me a fair prospect as a wife. Perhaps even someone for whom I need not keep my eyes closed. Oh, but I see <laughs> such talk distresses you. I shall leave you to communion with the Lord. Best of luck with the tiger. And disaster for Keith Prendergast. He's forgotten the extension lead and his plugs come out, leaving him coasting to a halt halfway down the course. He's trying to use the fan as some kind of clumsy oar, but it's just pitiful to watch. Meanwhile, plug trouble of a different kind for Sergei Botchkov. He just can't get the two-pin Russian plug into the three-pin British plug socket, without which he can't switch the shredder on, and he's going nowhere. They'll have to send someone down to Dixon's for one of those international travel adapter kits. I think his race is over. The news to the Americans is bad, as they still haven't got the rocket lit. But wait, extraordinary scenes here. One of the Russians has used his trademark Eastern European metal teeth to form an electrical bridge between the cable and the socket. His mount's basically on fire, but the shredder is going, and Sergei is eating up that track as quickly as the shredder is eating up his tie. And surely, failing a miracle, he is going to win this race. Whip Slipscomb, the rocket has fired and the American has won this race and a new personal best time, too fast to physically measure. Sadly, his plan to break using post-it notes seems to have failed and he has been punched straight through the office wall and into a low-earth orbit. So we have an extraordinary result here. Gold for Whip Slipscomb and as his head hits the shredder, silver for the strong-necked Russian and everyone else is just a big bronze loser. That's all from here, but now over to the internal staircase for the tea tray luge. Ooh, nasty. Ah, good. Come in. Angela, this is Alexander Rees, one of the world's leading relic hunters. Mr. Rees, this is my personal assistant, Angela. Lovely to meet you. Don't mind him, Angela. It's just his way. Mr. Rees is renowned for his abilities to extricate antiquities from perilous circumstances and to achieve this without a load of unnecessary chat. Not like that gobby Frenchman Serge Legrand, who, although technically superb, just won't shut up. Indeed, his reputation for constant and infuriating nasal Gallic jabbering is almost as well known as his remarkable ability to acquire ancient treasures. Saliva vacuum, please, Angela. Thank you. Our friend Mr. Reese here, on the other hand, although marginally less successful than Legrand, is, to my mind, infinitely preferable by dint of his taciturn nature. Isn't that right, Mr. Reese? Suppose. <laughs> Good man. Uh, well, I imagine you'll want to know why we summoned you here today, Mr. Reese. Hmm. Right. Well, there are not many pleasures available to a man like me, a man with no arms, no legs or torso. A man, a man who, on top of all of this, was cursed with a short neck. A man who is, in fact, little more than a head in a chair. Aesthetic beauty, however, is perhaps the one thing in this world I can fully appreciate, and that is why I wish for you to retrieve from me the world's most ornate object. <sighs> Mr. Reese, does it not intrigue you to know what this wonder is? I suppose. What's it like? I will tell you. It is a candlestick. 
A candlestick whose beauty surpasses all other candlesticks and indeed all other objects on earth. It is remarkable in that it lacks no aesthetic attribute. It incorporates into its being every design element ever conceived, from Rococo to Byzantine, Gothic to Romanesque, and yet somehow it also is a perfect expression of minimalism. It is dodecahedral in form, but its main facet appears serpentine. However, when strongly lit, it casts a shadow of Da Vinci's Last Supper. Angela, saliva vacuum! Thank you. It has retractable handles, a secret compartment containing stimulating but tasteful erotic engravings, and a garlic press. It is enamelled with scenes of shepherds and nymphs dancing round a giant candlestick, which in itself is enamelled with scenes of different shepherds and nymphs. This sequence repeats itself an unknown number of times as all the curators who have tried to detail it have died or retired with chronic nosebleeds from the effort. Angela! It is adorned with golden hippogriffs, jade turtles, nesting sets of platinum wolverines, bronze castings of slain bulls' testicles, and all of the pieces from both the Lord of the Rings and the Star Trek chess sets. (laughs) It is sacred to five religions, smoother than silk, fire-resistant and frost-proof. Its reserve on eBay is infinity pounds. It is not available in the shops. In short, Mr. Reese, I believe you will know it when you see it. Yeah, sounds nice. So you are willing to do this, to go on this quest of a lifetime, to acquire the object for which so many have killed and died, to risk all, to glimpse the sublime, nay, to touch the very mantelpiece of the gods? Hmm. Nah, you're right. (laughs) Oh. All right, Angela, get me Legrand on the phone. Hello, Serge Legrand de l'appareil. Oh, God, forget it. Robin, Robin, can I have a word? Of course you can, Will Scarlet. It's just Will. Sorry, Will. What can I do for you? Well, me and some of the men can't help noticing that you've taken to wearing stilts. That's right. Yeah, we we just don't get it. Well, they're stilts. What's to get? Well, Well, I mean, the hood, that we completely got. You were Robin, the hooded man. You know, it added an air of mystery. And the people in town love that sort of thing. But, but now you're Robin, the hooded man on stilts. It, <laughs> it, it just doesn't have the same ring. Well, perhaps people are calling me Robin, the very tall hooded man. No, they're not. Plus, when you were just hooded, you blended in really well. People don't notice a hooded man. What they do tend to notice is an excessively tall hooded man who frequently falls over. <laughs> yeah, well... I'm still practising. I only just got these. Yeah, where did you get them? Well, I stole them from the rich stilt maker. <laughs> what? Alan's stilt maker? The stilt maker? He isn't rich, he's poor. No, it was another stilt maker who was passing through the forest. He was delivering them to that short ass, the Sheriff of Nottingham. I thought the Sheriff was quite tall. I think he's about six foot two. No way. I'm six foot and he's much shorter than me. No, Robin, he's taller than you. You're only about five foot five. That's ridiculous. I'm, I'm at least six foot. You're not. Even Marion's taller than you. She... She wears heels. Yeah, not ten-inch heels. Oh, God, is that why you're wearing them? Because you're short? I'm not short. I'm tall. These stilts just enhance my already above-average height. No, 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 Robin, you're tiny. Little John is what I call tall. He's like seven foot. John is never seven foot. He looks big because he wears that smock with vertical stripes. (laughs) Robin... 
Robin, look, me and the men, we don't care about your height. You know, you're our leader. We don't follow you because you're tall. We follow you because you're good and just and you right wrongs using your skill with the bow. A skill which, by the way, is severely compromised when you constantly have to shift your weight from foot to foot to maintain your balance. <laughs> you're right, I'm sorry. I, I just thought if I was a little bit taller, I might inspire more respect. But we do respect you. We, we'd follow you anywhere. And, you know, I, I really think you'll lead us to more interesting places if you're not wearing stilts. Now, come on, just come down off there. Mm, all right. Thanks, Will. You're welcome. Don't pat me on the head. <laughs> so, you want plastic surgery? Yes, please. I take it you've considered long and hard before making this decision? Yes, I have been deeply in thought. I've researched it, I've studied it. I'm certain I want to do this. Right, so what exactly do you want altered? I would like a death cannon. Really? I'd prefer an anti-neutrino beam rather than a zen and crystal one, but I'm not too picky, Doctor. I see. I don't know if we have any donors for that. I'd also like enough power in my energy crystals to destroy the world. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think you might have got the wrong idea about plastic surgery. We deal with little alterations like rearranging bone, grafting skin. OK, well, I guess I'll settle for being 600 feet tall with the destructive power to crush Tokyo. No. Osaka? No. Dorset? Please. I don't think I can help you. Well, what can you do? We can make people's genitals bigger. Enough to destroy a building? <laughs> Maybe a very flimsy shed? Let the transformation commence! <laughs> Good morning. Morning. How can I help you? Can I have four candles, please? Certainly. There you go. Excellent. Oh, actually, can I have fork handles as well? How many? Two, please. There you go. Anything else? Well, actually, I feel rather silly saying it, but this parrot that I bought from you last week... Oh, my, my goodness, it's dead. I am so sorry. Here's a new parrot. Thank you. And please, take £50 compensation for such a horrible experience. Surely you can't be serious. <laughs> I am serious, but how lovely of you to remember my wife's name. Hello. I'm... I must say, I've just moved into the area and it's lovely to find such good service locally. Well, thank you. Although this is primarily a local shop designed to meet the needs of local people. <laughs> we do try our hardest to make anyone feel welcome, including the large gay community of the village. <laughs> Any plans for the afternoon? I had so much shopping to do, what with the four candles and the fork handles, that I took the rest of the day off, so I'm a free agent. I might go to the cinema. I could probably make the two o'clock showing of the new Tarzan if I hurry. Oh, the one with Heather Mills as Lord Greystoke? That's right, yes. It's been critically very well received, despite the controversial casting. Yes, some people thought it was odd to cast a woman in the role of Tarzan. To be honest, I didn't have anything against it. Neither did she, I should imagine. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Then I'll probably go out for an English afterwards. Oh, to the new contemporary English restaurant near the cinema? That's the one, yes. I've heard it's delicious. Well, that's good news. Well, I suppose I'd better go. I promised my daughter I'd give blood before I go to the pictures. How much do you imagine they will take? Oh, uh, about just over half a litre, I should expect. <laughs> a, a pint in old money. Well, that seems about right, doesn't it? Yes, I've no problem with it. I'll, I'll see you later. Hello, I'm from the Spanish Inquisition. Ah, oh, come in. I'm glad you could keep your appointment. That Mitchell and Webb sound starred David Mitchell, Robert Webb, Olivia Coleman and James Barkman. It was written by David Mitchell, Robert Webb, Chris Reddy, James Barkman and Mark Evans, Toby Davis and Chris Pell, Dan Hobson and John Bridal, Stuart Beale, Owen Powell and John Finnemore. The producer was Gareth Edwards. Yeah!